0: What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. We spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about the world's most popular sports leagues, the NFL, NBA, Premier League, La Liga, Formula One, and more. And we mostly talk about how they're changing. Things like the NFL's $10 billion annual media rights deal, the NBA's new in-season tournament, how a potential salary cap would work in the English Premier League, Formula One's $500 million inaugural Las Vegas Grand Prix, and more. But we really don't spend enough time talking about how youth sports participation is changing these very sports. Aspen Institute recently published its annual state of play report, and the results indicate a huge shift from team sports like baseball and football to individual sports like golf and tennis. For example, over the last four years, baseball and tackle football have seen a 20% and 13% decline, respectively, among participants aged 6 to 12 years old while tennis and golf have seen a 51% and 32% increase, respectively, over the same period. That means millions of kids have stopped playing baseball and tackle football. And when you add in swimming, minus 27%, hockey, minus 18%, and gymnastics, minus 15%, it gets even worse. Now, look, if you want to read the full report, I recommend everyone go to projectplay.org. It's an amazing report. They do this every single year, and it breaks down the trends in youth sports across different genders, across different social classes, across different regions and states. It's the most comprehensive report that I've ever seen on this, so I highly recommend everyone check it out. I read it every year, and I typically like to share it, but today what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk through some of the most interesting things that I found from this report. First, we'll start high-level, just kind of general trends that I recognized that the Project Play report specifies, and then we'll go into the individual sports and talk about where each sport is either doing really well or struggling and what impact that might have on the future. At the professional level. But let's start with the obvious. Team sports are on the decline and individual sports are on the rise. There seems to be this clear trend towards children leaving team sports for individual sports, with team sport participation across ages 6 to 17. So all team sports across ages 6 to 17 have declined 6% in total participation since 2019. So over the last four years, team sports down 6%. Now, this obviously started with COVID 19. But many children have picked up other hobbies. We're talking about individual sports like golf or tennis, or maybe even non-sports things like social media, video games, and other stuff like that. And team sports have yet to recover to their pre-pandemic level. And in some cases, it's getting worse, which we'll get to in a second. Now, to give you a little bit of context on 6%, it sounds like a lot, but how much is it really? That means 1.2 million fewer kids are playing team sports today than we had in 2019. 1.2 million fewer kids. Another recognizable trend is that team sports continue to transition to a pay-to-play model at a younger and younger age. An example of this, which we'll talk more about in a little bit, is travel baseball, where parents have to pay thousands of dollars each year and travel every weekend for months just so their kid has a chance to attend showcases and eventually get recruited to college. This obviously takes a toll on the parents and the kids, and it's one of the reasons why many families are now opting for individual sports even though in some cases these individual sports might be more expensive. Number two, the gap between the wealthy and the poor is wide, but it's closing. Now, household income has historically been a key differentiator in sports participation among the youth. I mean, it makes sense, right? Sports are expensive to compete in, and if families have to decide between buying groceries or buying sports equipment, they're most likely going to pick buying groceries. But public funding has changed a lot over the last decade, and we are now starting to see it make a considerable difference in the outcome. For example, the percentage of children ages 6 to 17 that play sports from households under $25,000 in annual income has steadily increased from 20% in 2019 to 26% in 2022. That's roughly a 25% increase over the last four years, and it means millions of more kids are playing sports from households under $25,000 in annual income. We'll get to the higher tax bracket in a second here. But number three is female participation is quickly approaching male participation. So it's no secret that youth males have historically played sports at a much higher percentage than females. But that has changed over the last several years, and they are now almost equal. So if we look at core sports participation by demographic, we're talking ages 6 to 17, 40% of males age 6 to 17 play a sport. That number for females is now at 34%. The most interesting part about these numbers, though, is that they are headed in two completely different directions. Male participation has dropped from roughly 50% in 2013 to 40% today, while female participation is now at its highest level since 2013. To give you a little bit of context on this, there are still 1.2 million more males on high school sports rosters today than females. A lot of that is primarily due to football teams having larger rosters than any women's sports, but those numbers keep getting smaller and smaller year after year. And I really do think we're going to come at a point here in the next maybe five or 10 years where they're roughly equal. We have the same level of participation amongst males and females in the youth level playing sports. In my opinion, though, this is a really good sign for female sports leagues like the WNBA, NWSL, women's college basketball and other things like this. This is a tailwind that's going to be powering their participation over the next decade. If you want to look at a sport in general and you want to look at baseball or football or golf or tennis or women's sports or whatever it is, look at the youth level. This stuff is super important and it shows us over the next decade what is going to be popular and what these athletes are going to be playing. Think about it. If you played sports growing up, I played football, basketball, and baseball. And there's a reason why those sports are traditionally my favorite sports to watch because I played them. It's the same reason why the NFL has had a hard time growing internationally over the last 50 years, because a lot of people haven't played the sport internationally. So these trends not only indicate what's happening today, but they indicate everything in the future from participation to viewership to potentially sponsorship money and everything else. But that's it for a high level. I think you guys get the point on what's happening. The three things we touched on were team sports are on the decline, individual sports on the rise. Number two, the gap between the wealthy and the poor is wide. But it's closing. And number three, female participation is quickly approaching male participation levels. But the other thing I want to talk about today is some of the individual sports. And I think we should start with baseball because baseball has seen a 20% decline over the last four years. Now, I podcasted about this the other day, and we talked through some of the stuff at the major league level that they could be doing better. Everything from promoting their superstars to ending blackouts to getting new stadiums, shortening the season, potentially a bunch of other things, too. But that's at the professional level. And I think if we zoom out and we look at the youth level, there's a couple of different things that are going on here. In my opinion, one of the biggest problems is becoming cost, which sounds kind of crazy to say for baseball. Obviously, everyone knows the equipment can get expensive. But we're now seeing this emergence where travel baseball has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger over the last several years. And not only is it getting more important, but it's also cascading downward to younger and younger baseball players. So if you think about it from a family standpoint, Travel baseball, on average, costs a family $3,700 per year per kid. Then it can go up to $8,000 per year, depending on the kid and what level they're at and how much they're traveling. But it also takes a lot of time, effort, and energy out of the parents and the kid to be traveling so much throughout the year. Now, there's absolutely no reason in my mind why travel baseball has become so important. Someone commented on my tweet the other day, and they made a good point. It was so simple, but it was such a good point. They're like, there is no reason why my kid who's 10 years old, needs to travel thousands of miles to play baseball games. There's teams in our county. There's teams in our state we could be playing. There's absolutely no reason for him to go to all these different showcases at 10 years old. He should be getting recruited the traditional way that we've always done it, which is, you know, you play in middle school, you play in high school, you send film out, coaches see you and you get recruited. Now, times have changed and that's not always the way that these things happen. It's gotten super competitive and everything else. But the cost associated with baseball is becoming a bigger and bigger factor. And that brings me to point number two, which is more free play. What we'll call free play is needed. Now, back in the day, kids used to throw the baseball in the yard. They used to go to the batting cages. They used to go practice on their own at the field. And we call that free play, right? The idea that you can just go out and you can play by yourself or with your family or with your friends or whatever it is. A lot of that has diminished and gone away in baseball today. And what we've seen is this rise again of travel baseball. And you have to be on these teams. You have to commit your life to it. That obviously needs to change if they want to see baseball continue to grow like we've seen over the last several decades. The other thing with this is like Major League Baseball has changed a lot of rules over the last several years. Viewership was up this year. Attendance was up, albeit only for the regular season, not the playoffs, but you guys get the point. If those things are able to make a substantial impact, that would have a long-term effect on the youth participation as well, because what do we know? We know that kids watch professional sports on TV. We know that they follow their favorite athletes on social media. If MLB is able to do a little bit better of a job of promoting its athletes and promoting its product, Maybe those numbers change as well. Let's talk about basketball, though. Basketball is unique because there are 25% of all youth athletes today play basketball at least once per year. It's by far and away the most popular sport at a youth level, even with the decline in core participation at 0.4% over the last four years. Now, basketball is super popular because of a few different reasons. Some of the stuff quoted in the Aspen Institute report goes back to the superstars. We talked about this with MLB on the podcast the other day. NBA, more than any other sports league, I think does a great job promoting its athletes. I'm so bullish on the NBA long term because of some of the stuff they're doing on the business side in India and Africa and other stuff like that. But most importantly, the most simple way to look at it is that their athletes don't wear helmets and the league spends a lot of money and time promoting the individual, right? So Giannis, Jokic, Stephen Curry is an amazing example. Obviously, LeBron James, they promote the athlete and the individual, which is what we know kids want to follow today. So I think Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors, I think LeBron James, I think all of the athletes around the NBA and the superstars have done an incredible job of promoting themselves and growing their presence over the last few years. And that's why we've seen basketball continue to become the most popular sport at a youth level in the United States. The other idea behind this, and it goes back to the idea of free play, which is basketball is relatively simple to play, right? You just need a basketball, you can go shoot on hoop. There's a bunch of public parks all throughout the United States with hoops. You don't even need a net in most cases. As long as you have a basketball, you can go out, you can go play. Some people make their own hoops and things like that. From a free play standpoint, basketball is at the top of the list and one of the easiest things to go get into, which has always historically been soccer around the world, right? As long as you have a ball, you can kind of make your own goal. You can play with people and do all that stuff. Basketball in the United States is Europe's soccer, essentially. Thirdly is tackle football and flag football. So we've seen these trends with tackle football and flag football over the last several years. And it's super interesting to me because this is something that we talk about a lot. But seeing the numbers just hits a little different, right? Tackle football is down 13% over the last four years, and flag football is only up 0.3% over the last four years. Now, the reason why this is so unique is because tackle football has seen a huge decline in youth participation over not only the last four years, but over the last decade. Obviously, parents are worried about CTE. There was a study from the Boston University CTE Center that was released in August of this year that found CTE in more than 40% of youth, high school, and college athletes, mainly football players that suffered repeated head trauma from contact sports and died before turning 30 years old. So CTE, as most of you know, can only be diagnosed after death. So Boston University CTE unit examined the brain of a bunch of people after they had died before the age of 30. And they found that if you played high school football, if you played youth football, or if you were an athlete in the case where you were getting repeated head contact, in some cases that included soccer and other stuff like that, but they were primarily football players and 40% of them had CTE. So just imagine what that number is in the NFL, college football, and other things like that as you continue to progress. Obviously, that's something that parents are worried about, and that's one of the main reasons why we've seen such a decline in tackle football participation over the last several years. But one of the other reasons why we've seen it particularly at the ages of 6 to 12 is because the NFL doesn't necessarily want you playing tackle football at those ages. What they've indicated and what we've seen through their actions is that they would rather you play flag football at those ages and not play tackle football until you get to high school. And the reason for that is relatively simple. You learn the rules of the game, you fall in love with the game, and the next thing you know, you avoid some repeated head trauma at a younger age where maybe some kids don't know how to tackle or play the game fundamentally wise. You get to high school, again, you're in love with the game, you get a little bit better at the game, and now you're able to reduce your exposure to the head contact by eliminating essentially ages, you know, six through 14. So that's obviously a big deal. And it's one of the reasons why the NFL has heavily aligned its brand with flag football, They've invested millions of dollars in their own flag football league called NFL Flag since the 1990s. And today the program has over 600,000 youth athletes ages four to 17 across 1,600 teams in all 50 states. And the other exciting part about this is that the NFL was able to convince the Olympic Committee to include the sport as part of the LA Olympics in 2028. Flag football will be added to the calendar and these games will be taking place on the world's biggest stage, which should help support both versions of the game tackle and flag football. But let's talk about two sports that people have historically considered a little bit more expensive and more niche. That would be golf and tennis. Let's start with golf. Golf is up 32% at the youth level, ages six to twelve over the last four years, tremendous amounts of growth. Now the unique part about golf is it is expensive. It's it's a very expensive sport to get into, not only in greens fees, country clubs are obviously super expensive. Even if you're playing the local community courses, you got to buy clubs, you got to buy balls. It's a really expensive game to get into as a kid. And traditionally, if your parents don't play it, you're not going to be playing it either. So it's really unique to see this level of growth at such a widespread area, 32% over the last four years. And I've written about this before and certainly podcasted about it, but I think this is driven mostly by off course golf, if I had to imagine, right? So we've seen Top Golf; they have been cited in the Aspen Institute report specifically as adding a lot of value to the golf landscape. 10% 10% of all recreational golfers of all ages, right? So every recreational golfer today, 10% of them say that top golf was their introduction to the sport. That's how important top golf has become in the landscape of golf today. Obviously, the pandemic was huge with golf as well. You were getting outdoors, you could socially distance, you were playing by yourself. It introduced a bunch of new golfers, including kids that are now regular golfers. And golf's having its moment. I mean, if you think about golf, they just got their new series on Netflix. Obviously, everything happened in the news with the PGA Tour, and live over the last year. But golf feels like it's got this force behind it right now, whereas a professional league, it's also becoming more valuable and more important, and they're making more money, and their viewership is increasing. So even without Tiger Woods, as he's getting older and transitioning out of the sport and not playing as much, golf feels like it has this good nucleus of like young players who are breaking through, who have personalities, and companies like Netflix and other people like that are really building upon that. So if I had to pick a list of the sports that I'm most excited about going into the future, people ask me this stuff all the time. What sports are you most bullish on? Golf would certainly be near the top of that list. Everything I just talked about, off course golf with Top Golf, what's happening at the professional level, what's happening with Netflix and Full Swing and YouTube and TikTok. The social media concept for golf has skyrocketed over the last several years. We now have full-time creators in the space. They're creating a lot of content and it's becoming much more popular with the younger generation of players. So I'm super excited to see where golf goes over the next few years. But last but not least, let's talk about tennis, because tennis is another sport that's a little bit unique. Obviously, it's a much smaller base of players today here in the United States, but it's globally popular. And it's traditionally been considered a very niche and expensive sport. But I think that narrative is probably changing a little bit over the last few years. Tennis is up 51% at the youth participation level ages 6 to 12 over the last four years. And obviously part of this, as well as golf, is the COVID boom. You were able to get outside, you were socially distancing, you were getting athletic. And for anyone who has ever played tennis, tennis is a freaking workout. I started taking tennis lessons like six months ago. Granted, it was in the Florida heat, but it's really, really hard. I left the first lesson. I was like, God damn, I don't know how these guys do this, how these women do this. Every single tournament, every single day, play for four plus hours at a time. It's a really difficult sport. It's an amazing workout and it's a lot of fun. But the other idea behind this is that the sport has always been expensive. And I've always pushed back on that because I don't necessarily think that's true. You can certainly have kids that are spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year or over several years on personal lessons, on country club memberships and things like that. But that's not the norm. That's the exception, right? You really can go buy a tennis racket for 30, $35 and you can go play on public courts, right? You get a couple of balls. In some cases, you can even go find the balls. If you go around a tennis court, sometimes there's some in the woods or outside the court or something like that and a racket is like $30 to $35, and you go play. So I would argue that tennis is not nearly as expensive to enter into as a sport as other people believe. It's a recreational sport. It's something that you can continue to play as you get older, and it's a great workout. So there's not a lot of sports like that, right? Baseball, you're not going to play as you get into your 60s and 70s. It's not an incredible workout. Football, you're certainly not going to play as you get older like that. Basketball becomes much harder to play as you get older. Golf is certainly a sport that you can continue to play as you get older, but it's not nearly as good of a workout as tennis is, right? So tennis is a sport, which I think is super important in the grand landscape of everything because obviously it's an international sport, but it's a sport that you can continue to compete in as you get older and it's a tremendous workout. So I hope you guys enjoyed this breakdown. These are things that I think we should continue to talk about over the coming years because the youth level is super important. We spend so much time talking about professional sports and how the media rights are gonna impact salaries and the investment that the athletes are making and everything else like that. And when you really boil it down, the future of a lot of these sports depends on the youth level and the participation that we're seeing and the trends that we're seeing at that level. So shout out to the Aspen Institute for putting this report together. Again, if you want to read it, make sure you go to projectplay.org backslash state of play 2023. You'll be able to find the entire report. It's like four to five different pages long. It breaks down participation trends, health trends, coaching trends cost of play trends, and a bunch of other stuff too. Again, they do it every single year. I read it every single year and I try to share it with as many people as possible because I think we spend way too much time on the professional level and not nearly enough time on the youth level. That's it for today though. I hope everyone has a great weekend. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast and we'll talk on Monday.